if then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, for Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died to your life, died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So, if we've been raised with Christ, you know, he turns to what we can do and, and what we should do. And the emphasis is very much on our focus on Christ. We've been raised with Christ. You know, uh, we've, our life is hidden with Christ. Christ is our life. So, it, he's the focus. And, and as we've been raised up with him, you know, we've had the co-crucifixion with him. Now we have the co-resurrection. And we're raised together with him. So what do we do? We seek the things above, because that's where he is. You know, the false teachers focus so much on rules and regulations relating to just material things that didn't matter. The length of your hair, in the cases I was using, or whatever. Whereas, you know, if you're focused on the things above, that's where the Lord is, and it changes how you look at things. You know, Christianity is not so mo- much focused on, you know, rituals here, but it's focused on, on, on the Lord and, and the spiritual growth that comes from heaven where he is. We seek the things above because that's, that's, that's him. And, and we've died. So, you know, we, we, we've, we've died to ourselves. We've died to our old life. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. You know, so he's our life, as he says in verse 4. And... You know, I mean, think about it. Is that true? You know, I mean, he already says our life is shared with Christ, and now he says Christ is our life. That Christ is like the essence of our life. You know, is he? I mean, that's, that's, what he's asking here and what he's saying is just very challenging for Christ to become my life. For, for me to just be, let Christ live in me. And, you know, this really fits the book. I mean, how much focus has there been on Christ already in this book? I mean, so much, both in chapter 1 and chapter 2. And, and therefore, how do we live? Focused on Christ. You know, we, we, we completely identify ourselves with Him. You know, and uh, when he who is, Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Um, you know... Um, what, what a thing to look forward to, to imagine Christ being revealed and will be glorified with him. Um, you know, here are ex-pagans in not a real prominent town who will one day participate in the glory of the Lord as they're raised up with him. And uh, so, I mean, this is a lot to look forward to. It's worth it to really be with Christ and let him be our life. So that one day we will be revealed with him in glory. Uh, so it's just a whole different orientation. You know, we're, we're away from the human rules, and now we're really looking up at Christ and seeking Christ and just making him our life. Thoughts and comments? Well... Um, what does that mean in specific actions for us? Um, 5 to 11. You can read Timothy if you want to. 
Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things the wrath of God is coming up on the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived with them. Now, but now you yourselves are put off, put off, are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with deeds, and put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, uncircumcised nor circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. All right, so here's part of what we need to do. We see here uh, that we, we have to live according to this mindset of seeking Christ. Um, you know, we've got a new identity, but what does that mean in what we do? Well, it means killing some things. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead. That's pretty drastic. You know, you consider something as dead, you've killed it. And so he doesn't say to just suppress these things, or cages them, or paint them over, but wipe them out and exterminate them. You know, carry these sins to the guillotine and get rid of them. Uh, So what are they? Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Now, that's quite a list. And he really starts with the more specific, and he moves to, like, the heart that leads to those things. So immorality is like talking about sexually immoral acts, you know, with people you're not married to, that idea. Then the impurity, then the passion. So he's not just dealing with the symptoms, but we're going back to the, the sinful desires, the evil desire, and greed. Now, I think he's talking about sexual lust when he says greed. Remember that in the Ten Commandments you could covet your neighbor's wife, not just your neighbor's stuff. And I think in this context, sexual lust is selfish. You know, it's greedy. You're seeking for yourself. And it leads to an obsession that makes that a God in and of itself. There's just, you know, people end up, as they give in more and more to immoral behavior, every waking moment, nearly every thought, nearly every look, nearly every relationship focuses on that, you know, just greed for more and more experiences and... and, uh, you know, sex becomes the Lord of, of everything. I think that's the idea in verse 5. And uh, we can't behave that way. That is earthly behavior. We, we, we cut those things, we, we you know, completely uh, destroy those things in our life. For it's because of those things, these things, that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Um, you know, that adds some motivation. <laughs> you don't want to face God when he's angry, do you? And, and it, he will if you do this. He said, in them you also once walked when you were living in them. You know, back when they lived in the world, lived on the earth, 
then they behave this way. But now they've died. You know, their conduct needs to fit their condition. When they were living on the earth, living an earthly life, then uh, they they behaved in these ways. Um, this this was the appropriate expression to worldly living. But now that they've died, then then they have to live in a different way. They have to be different, and they can't continue. They they can't die with Christ and continue living in these worldly lusts. They've got to purge themselves of that. So that's the first step. You know, as he talks about specific things to get rid of, he talks about the sexual immoral behavior. And isn't it interesting? I mean, we look around and we see so much lust and impurity and garbage of all sorts. Well, we look at Colossians and the first big area of sins he wants to deal with is exactly that. I mean, we think, oh, we've invented, you know, a bunch of new things and all that. We're the same as we've always been. Uh, you know, that's always been a big issue uh, for worldly people. Shouldn't be an issue for godly people, because we put that to death. You know, we live for the Lord. So thoughts and comments to verse 7. Well, verse eight's a whole different list, isn't it? But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Now, isn't it interesting that often people are more focused on one list or the other? You know, some people concentrate on verse 5 and they're great with purity, but they're really bad with anger and wrath and malice and slander and all that. Some people treat everybody wonderful, but they're terrible with purity. Well, you know, the gospel doesn't relieve any room for either behavior. And in this uh, list, it seems to me like he starts more with the inner root and proceeds to the fruit. And so, it starts with the anger and the wrath and the malice that leads to the slander and the abusive speech. Um, you know, what do people say today? It, it, you know, if you're upset, you might as well just uh, let it out. You know, just express your thoughts and it's unhealthy to repress those things. So you just need to vent. Well, Paul didn't think so. Now, you don't need to have the anger and the wrath and the malice. But you also don't need to express it in those things. Um, you know, what do people do when they get mad? When they're angry with somebody and they start talking? Yeah. Do I? Yeah. Yell. Well, that's one thing. I hadn't thought about it that way. But yeah, they yell. What do they talk about? Every thought that comes into their mind. Which usually includes what kinds of things? Accusing them. Of? Anything. Yes! And why do they accuse them? What, 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 what governs what they accuse them of? When somebody's really mad at somebody, and they start yelling at them and accusing them, they accuse them of what kind of things? Things that they think will... Be hurtful? Yes! Whatever they think will hurt them the most. Because their goal is to make them feel bad. So they, they invent ways to try to make them hurt. Here's the other thing they do. When, when you're mad and you start yelling at somebody, not only do you find things to hurt them, but you also, what other kind of things do you always seem to talk about? Tear them down. 
Yeah, by what? Use what to tear him down with? Insults. What? Words. Words, insults, yeah. I'm thinking of things in their past. Bringing up all those things they've ever done wrong. You know, like, uh, I said this in, in Fort Allegra study, and they thought it was hilarious. Everybody here has heard it. But like the uh, husband who said, you know, when his wife gets mad, she gets historical. And they said, no, you mean hysterical? And he said, no, I mean historical. She brings up all these things from the past. You know? <laughs> it was. They, they, boy, they just really like that. <laughs> it's the same thing. Historical and hysterical. So it's exactly cognates. Yeah. It works just as well. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so it worked, it worked fine. They just must not have ever heard that. I don't think they ever had, yeah. <laughs> and then they turn around, and one of the Brazilians made an illustration. I'd heard this one before. Uh, oh, how, how um, like holding malice and resentment in. He said, that's like drinking poison so you so, uh, and hoping somebody else, you know, Suffers from it, dies from it, or whatever. You know, you drink it yourself so that yeah, they can they can get killed from it. I the way he said it, I thought was hilarious. You know, he said it, he's a good, he's kind of comical, and he said it really funny. And everybody just, I said, do you get it? They were all they just busted out laughing because I just said what I'd said, and they're like, well, you think we don't get him, and we can get you what you said? <laughs> and I'm like, well, you didn't react. You know, yeah, I thought it was clear, but it's like, everybody just looked there like you were dead. It was funny. They didn't think it was funny, they just thought it was interesting or something. <laughs> so, people, different cultures have different senses of humor, but they laughed at me this whole time. I've never been laughed at so much as I was in Brazil on this trip. I don't know why. What were you teaching? I taught Galatians and Ephesians 1-5 to in Porto Lengue. And, uh, so, um... But, but you know, we just got to get rid of this. So we get rid of the root of it. We just got to get rid of our selfishness. The leads to the anger and the wrath and the malice. You think about how much the Lord has loved us. How much he cares about us. And, and that'll help. And then, then you don't express it. You don't express what you don't have inside of you. And so you lay those aside. And then he gives special treatment in verse 9 to lying. I mean... That really makes it more emphatic. Then it kind of gets a category all to itself. Because uh, lying is just totally contrary to God of truth. And Satan is the father of all lying. And he said, since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices. I mean, you know, you got you, you, you don't live that way anymore. You speak truth. You don't lie. Lying is just an abomination before God. We've got to be really honest. And, uh, and, and because we... We've laid aside the old self and we put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. we got to change men. And, and now we live according to the image of Christ. You know, and so we have a different lifestyle, a different mindset, a different pattern. It's the image of Christ that we live up to and that lives in us. And this, this new self and new life, this renewal... There's no distinction between Greek and Jew, uncircumcised and circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, none of that. It obliterates ethnic and cultural and social boundaries. You know, in the, in the old world, where we used to live, those things matter. In the new world, in Christ, those things are irrelevant. It doesn't matter somebody's racial background, it doesn't matter if somebody's, you know, slave or free, 
certainly doesn't matter if you're a Greek or Jew. That's the sticking point for some of them. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that, that those things are, are lost. Now, Scythian here, barbarian and Scythian, barbarian was a special subset of non-Jews. You know, the Greeks in this, if you have Greeks, barbarians, and Scythians, barbarians were the uncultured ones. You know, and the Scythians were the wildest of the barbarians. They were the most fierce and the most uncivilized. That's probably what word we use for Scythians. Uncivilized. Barbarians were uncultured, and the Greeks were, you know, normal people. Uh, but it doesn't matter. You know, God, God uh, takes away all those distinctions. And Christ is all and in all. Christ takes precedence over all earthly ties. You know, he is everything to the Christian. You know, um, which, again, what else would you have expected a letter like Colossians to say? You know, <laughs> as much as we've seen the central nature of Christ in everything in Colossians, this is, you, you almost wonder if this wouldn't be a good subtitle for the book. Christ is all and in all. I mean, that, that's about it. That sums this up about as well as anything. But it, this is just the book that focuses on Christ. I mean, and we're going to keep seeing it, even some of the other things that don't seem maybe as Christ-centered. They are. Uh, and, and he will show that. So, this is the part we put off. You know, we can't keep living a worldly lifestyle because we're in a new world now. And that, that old life doesn't fit it. Thoughts and comments to verse 11. So these barbarians and Scythians could be from anywhere. It just yeah, but they would have probably been from more the backwoods areas, the places farther from the places of culture. You wouldn't have found barbarians, barbarians and Scythians in Athens, but you'd have found them in the you know rural mountainous regions farther away from Greece and so forth. They call them barbarians because that's what their language sounded like to the Greeks. That's it. That is true. Yes. Bar, bar, bar. They just, they're like, when those people talk, all I hear is bar, 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 bar. <laughs> so they call them now, barbarians. That, that, that's where that word comes from. Yeah. Um, the, their language sounded like the who? So, to the Greeks. Right. Right. Just sounds like bar, the bar, Jewish bar. Language? No, the barbarians. The, the people who didn't speak Greek that came from all over the place. That, that's another, I mean, the barbarians normally didn't speak Greek. You know, cultured people do, normal people do. But the barbarians, they didn't know Greek and whatever they said. The, the so they, like, weren't Jews or Greeks. They were, like, those people. Yeah, sometimes Greek encompasses all Gentiles. But in this case, it's not. Because he's distingu distinguishing Greeks, barbarians, and Scythians. Do Scythians mean anything? I don't know. Oh, not that I know of. But he, Gary was just saying Scythian was, like, the really uncivilized right, barbarian. Right, but he said the barbarian came from uh -oh. the bar and I don't know. I have no idea. With Scythian. Yeah. I did know about Yeah. I didn't know what you said about the barbarian, but I have no idea what Scythian Yeah, it is capitalized. Was that like a certain nationality? I'm assuming that it must be a certain place or nationality yeah. or something. Yeah, I don't know. A certain cave or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Caveman. Maybe like so. The Scythian cave, what'd you say? Yeah, I said it sounds like a snake. A snake, yeah. Maybe so. All right, anything else to verse 11? I like verse um, 10, like off with the old and with the new, like 
um, once you're, you're the old self when you're not baptized, and when you get baptized, it's putting on the new self, and you're mm-hmm. supposed to stay that way, right? That's exactly right. You trade people. The old person, you know, was did what this world wanted, and the new person does what Christ wants, and Christ lives in them. So he's just expressing the idea of changing your life in that way. Remember, like, uh, Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born again. It's the same idea. You get rid of the old and put on the new. Oh, yeah. yeah. I can see how you would hear these things about what you're not supposed to do and come to the conclusion that you need to make up a bunch of rules, you know, to make it work. But, I mean, he said that doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't. That's the mindset of the Pharisee, and perhaps some of these teachers in Colossae, is that you can't do this if you don't have a bunch of supplementary rules. But that's not the way to go with that. Um, You know, just trying to come up with, well, what else can we come up with that'll keep people from doing wrong? That's just not how God does that. He wants us to deal with the principles and, and help people see the proper application, not come up with more rules just to keep us from breaking the rules we've got. And, 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 and again, I think what Ryan said, it's really easier to keep a few rules. I mean, it may, it may be hard to keep certain rules because they're hard rules, but at least it's external. It's just what you do, or what you don't do, usually. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily affect how you feel, what you think, what you're you know, any of that stuff. So it's not really dealing with the hard, it's just dealing with the external. And if it was rules, you wouldn't be told, like in verse 1, to keep seeking, because once you broke the rules, there's no point to keep seeking, because you weren't there anyway. But if you're progressively going towards something, that's a lot different. Absolutely. And the way he says these things is more challenging. To put Christ, you know... Uh, make Christ all in all, you know, and to seek the things above and set your mind on the things above and, and, and make Christ your life and all that. That's not as concrete. That requires us to really think and, and really meditate and really change our heart, change our perspective, not just keep some rules. And it doesn't do any good to argue the rules, usually, mm-hmm. with someone. You know, there's there's so many issues where there's questions, but you could argue those all day, and you'll never convince one or the other, unless you go back to putting Christ first, because that's what's going to make you decide what that rule means. Right. So, in regardless, I think regardless of what the issue, I mean, there's some things obviously that I think they're a little little plainer than others that even those that have the similar belief can debate and maybe come to a conclusion on those. But just going out, you know, when people, you talk to a Baptist or you talk to someone and they want to discuss instrumental music or they want to argue, you know, you have to take the Lord's Supper on Sunday. You could argue those all day long and never convince either one without starting with the basis. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would talk to a lady on the plane. Uh, She was... uh, last plane I was on, I heard her speaking in Portuguese. It was from Dallas to the Indies, so she was right beside me, sitting beside me. So I'm like, you're Brazilian, I told her in Portuguese. And she said, you speak Portuguese. And so we started talking Portuguese, and then I realized she's a missionary uh, from America and living in Brazil. 
and uh, she's over here preaching. Uh, she's going to pre preaching in Petersburg Sunday morning and in Plainfield Sunday night, and uh, so forth and so on. And so she was just thrilled to well, what, what a you know God was blessing us to put us together on the plane and this that and that, and how wonderful this is and that is and so forth. And so you know it's like well, so I just said you know. What do you do with the passages that deal with uh, the role of women in the New Testament and the preaching? Well, we talked about that a little while. I mean, she said, well, you know, God had called her. When she was 17, God called her. And so well, I said, yeah, do you believe in the Bible? Yeah, she did. I said, do you believe we have to follow it? Yeah, yeah. So what do you do with those passages? Oh, well, the, the, the Lord does these wonderful things. She's seen the Lord do wonderful things in her ministry. There's these other women's ministries, you know, that just do wonderful things. The Lord does wonderful things in them. And I said, okay, I mean, so how do we know that's the Lord doing that if they're violating what the Lord said? You believe that's what? She said, well, you are not going to change my mind. I said, well, probably not. But but that's the point. You know, it, the, the, none of that matters if you're not really focused on the Lord and that's not what your heart is. You know, because if you don't want to follow the Lord, I'm not going to convince her. I, I gave up you know, trying. That wasn't going to happen. You know, clearly not. Uh, at least she had a better perspective on I wasn't maybe quite the godsend she thought I was. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't God that sent you after all. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she may have uh, revised that conclusion. I know. <laughs> but yeah, and you know, you started the, the basis. Do you believe the Bible? She said she did. She said she did, but she, she doesn't. Did. No. You know, so you have nothing. You have nothing to go back to to begin a argument. Exactly. That was the point. That was exactly it. Right. She knows the Lord called her. Nobody's convinced her otherwise. She knows the wonderful things she's seen the Lord do in these ministries. Mm -hmm. She did not, in any sense, even begin to try to say anything about the passages. She, she, the, the closest she got is, well, we're all, we're all the same before God. Men and women are the same. I said, well, not exactly the same. <laughs> you know, we do share equally in salvation and the blessings of God, but, you know, and, uh, but that's the, the closest she got to making any kind of an effort to even think about the passages. They don't matter. She knows what she knows. So. so I thought I would take the last few minutes here. We can turn that off and I can tell you a couple of things about the trip. It's, uh, I like talking about